why is it that some coaches are just accustomed to building champions? Why is it that others never get there? Not even one. Rob Cole, the head wrestling coach at Cornell, 20, 25 year veteran at Cornell, one of the hardest schools to get into, a school that doesn't give out scholarships, yet people give up scholarships to join Cornell. Cornell's built massive, massive lives that are known for building just absolute champions in business, in sport. And Rob Cole, their head coach, shares with us some of his insights in terms of what it takes and how he actually recruits parents, not kids. Let's get stuck into this. I'm Rose Singh and welcome to The Leadership Show. Welcome to The Happiness Platform. And it's not necessarily the result that measures your success, but it's the process. So it's the number of drills you put your guys through. You know, It's not like the wrestling match, because you already know by the time the game day comes, how many of them are going to succeed and how many are not because of the, the actual process, the individual steps, the drills, the practice that they've put in. Right? And that's why I, I imagine, and this is what I want to talk to you about, is what goes through the planning process as far as knowing what makes champions and what, how much of that is around disciplined execution, etc. I'm in a good situation too because I recruit champions. Nah. And, I, and the key for my success is if you front end that side of your job, makes the other side a lot easier. And yes. There was a really, go back to parenting, there was a really interesting story about, oh, I think it was, you probably, maybe you've heard about this in Africa, they had these rogue elephants that were going around killing hippos and rhinoceroses and they couldn't understand why all these young adolescent elephants who were going into musk were killing and then trampling villagers and everything and they it was over I don't know 15 20 year period whatever and they found out they traced back that those young adolescent elephants were the same elephants that came from herds that the bulls had been killed for their tusks and so what they did is they transferred adult males from other herds into this adolescent group and it, and it solved the problem over a period of time. And it's, it, it goes back to all the problems we have in the United States with these young adolescent youth. Like you go to Chicago and there's 40, 50 people that get shot every weekend and it's all young males. It's, it's a group of people that, and I guarantee a night of them don't have a father in their, in their life who have socialize these kids and taught them. And you can't even and you can't even say this politically. It's ridiculous. You can't speak the truth. It's mm -hmm. like this is this is why we're having these problems. You don't have anybody who has any fathers who take any accountability to the kids that they're breeding. And it's, it drives me crazy. And you have you go to the Appalachian Mountains and those those people have the same damn problems because you have these fathers bottom or fathers who are now meth, all on meth or heroin or, or opiates. And it's a real problem. It's a real simple fix. For me, you know, I identify that at a much higher level. It's not that I, because I'm, I'm not bringing in the kids who are complete bandits, but that discipline that you're talking about, that starts at a really early age. And if you don't get a kid by the time he's 16, 17, 18 years old who has that discipline, it's very hard for me when they're 18 years old all of a sudden try to instill discipline on them. It just doesn't work, generally speaking. You, know, you get a few extreme cases where they're just so athletic that their talent will overcome some of their shortcomings, but I like to play the odds, and, and I, I recruit parents. I really do. I look at the parents, and apples don't fall far from those trees. 
Now, taking responsibility, and this is um, this is a big thing. I mean, it's happening all over the place now, and uh, fortunately, unfortunately, most Western societies in particular, where the fathers, uh, a lot of kids are growing up without their father's influence, right? And I think it's also an opportunity for extended families. We're becoming a lot more global as well, so we need to watch out who's around our kids, right? We need to make sure what we call the company you keep in one of our programs, identifying those individuals with the traits such as discipline, you know, we're talking about here, the hard work ethic, etc., and surrounding ourselves with those type of folks. So if you could just talk to me a little bit more about uh, how, what, what's, the, what's a typical process look like in terms of how you go and find these, these athletes that you turn into even greater men than what they were on the path to be? Well, for me, I, well, it's not hard for me to find the kids who are succeeding on the mats. Um, yeah. you, know, you go to a, the internet and you'll find tournaments and mm. if you win a tournament, you're good, right? It's pretty yeah. simple. Uh, but then you need to find the kids who are winning the tournaments who also have the grades to be able to succeed at Cornell University and that narrows our field down significantly. You've got this massive crop of water feeding into a straw, you know, and, and, and that's what I've got left out, <laughs> yeah. left over. And inevitably, you know, I have a very, I have a filtering system, and, and that's you know, the academics, which is probably, you know, I, I, I'm actually fairly thankful for that at the end of the day because it makes my life a lot easier. But even in that that straw of quality kids who have the grades and who have the the talent, then there's a there's a finer there's a finer filter that I, I look for, and that's the character filter. Because I don't want to bring kids in who are who are doing drugs or, or thieves, and, and even at the highest level, you get kids who are doing things the wrong way. And inevitably, as we spoke of before, it's it's nine nine times out of ten it's because of the parents. So I bring the parents in, I meet the parents. They don't know they're going through the interview process just like the kids. And and almost always there's two parents when I'm talking about Cornell kids, and, and people don't want to hear that. They don't because it's not politically correct to say that. Yeah. You know, it's it's right to stay with a, a a family and stay with your children if it doesn't make you happy. Tough freaking luck. If it doesn't make you happy, you shouldn't have the kid in the first place. Now, if there's obviously there's exceptions to every rule. If there's abuse, I, I get it. But that's not nice. That's more often than not, that's not the kind of case. It's just the, the man or the woman decides they want a different lifestyle, and and those kids don't make it. And if you're okay with that. Okay, so be it. But understand that, that by leaving your family, you're going you're gonna to damn your kid to a less successful life, almost, almost, in, almost inevitably. Um, the kids who do have, who don't have the father and the mother, it's not that I don't recruit them. It's that they generally they can't get into Cornell. They don't do quite as well. But even those guys who do, almost always, there's some other surrogate. There's mm-hmm. a strong coach. There's a strong teacher. There's almost always. A strong male character, and you don't want people don't want to hear that because there's this this I don't like I say anti male, but it's it's a it's a this this liberation that everyone is this individual and the mother can take care of the kids just as well as the father. No, that's not the case. You need the strong father. You need the strong mother. You almost need both. Now, when there's a death in the family, it doesn't seem to affect the, the, the child as much. It's a it's a really bizarre. And this is only my experience. I'm not saying this is everybody's experience, but in my experience. Um, it doesn't affect the child as much developmentally as as if someone just leaves that child. But in in, in my most recent case, I have two kids who are, come from a really bad background. Both had 
phenomenal coaches. Took them under their wing, took them to tournaments, made sure they were going to class, made sure they were staying out of trouble. And so I think that 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 coach becomes the kind of the you know the adopted parent, and uh, and and so they get a pass on that. So it's not that I won't recruit the kids. It just makes it more likely if I have two supportive family members that I will go after that kid because I know that there's less baggage associated with that kid. It's my job at Cornell to get the greatest team on the mat uh, to have to provide these kids with a great experience. Um, I'm going to have some damaged kids when they when they get there, and I try to do everything I can for them. But it's not my goal to bring in damaged kids. So uh, you know that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the best and the brightest. Hey Rob, I'm, uh, I'm getting these chills, man, when you're speaking, because uh, for me, it's so wonderful to hear someone with a bit of courage and actually put it out there for people to take responsibility. And people, I mean, parents, if you, you know, I'm 100% with you. If you're going to have a child, it's forever, right? And that means role modeling, the behaviors, the psyche, right, that you want the child to grow up with. Okay, you want them to be successful, you want to put the best that you can. And I don't think there should be any apologies. I think there should be bars and standards that are set that people know what they look like. And I think men in particular, and of course women too, but this is a separate conversation, need to be the beacons. And today, if you look at some of the statistics coming out of just here in Australia, 48% of people in the workforce say that their workplace is detrimental to their mental health, okay? Now I say, okay, there are some tough places to work and I've worked at a few of those, but to, to be detrimental to your mental health, that's, a, that's, that's an inner thing, that's a self-responsibility, you know, in terms of taking care of your individual self, in terms of taking ownership of your health. And it starts with a parent passing it down, with be it by rituals of bowing down and surrendering. If you're religious, you know, whether it be you know getting in the morning and getting the right habits in place and knowing your own self worth, um, you now working hard and not always getting a pat on the back saying, "Hey, you're doing great," but learning to learning to go, "Hey, you know, these." The reason I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve is because maybe I didn't put in the effort, right? And so taking ownership of that result rather than going, ah, oh, the coach didn't you know, put as much time into me as he did someone else, that type of stuff, right? So I'm sure you hear this crap all the time. Well, you're, believe me, I, 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 I could be happy anywhere, and I would be happy anywhere, because you, you're, there, one, there's, there's no such thing as pressure. Pressure is the only thing you put on yourself. I've got a wrestler on my team, Kyle Dake. I say he doesn't get nervous. He's excited. There's a completely different emotion to that. People get before a match, he gets excited. Other people get nervous. Yeah, you know, nervous yeah. is going to make you perform poorly. Excitement is going to make you perform well. You take, you know, and everything is perception. You know, if you if you are, and I think social media and, and has really had a major play on this. You know, you go, you have okay. Let's let's say two factors. You take a factory worker from Chicago, and he's going to work every day, and it's a grind. He only makes fifteen dollars an hour. He's miserable. Oh, am I, I, I deserve more. You take someone out of Somalia, you put him in that job, he's the happiest person in the world. What's the same job? One guy's, one guy's like, oh my God, I'm the greatest, the greatest job in the world. The other guy's horrible. So it's all perception. Yes. And, 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 you, and, that, and you have the ability to control how you look at that job and how you look at yourself. And, and it's all your self-worth. And, and if you don't think that that job is, is good enough for you, then you're going to be miserable. But if you go in there and say, you know what, you're doing the 
the best job. And I tell all my wrestlers, I say, look, do your job or whatever job you do. If, you, if you're the best at that in the world, if you're the best, hey, you're the best uh, garbage collector in the world, you'll do well. You'll do well. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You don't have to be a CEO of Goldman Sachs to be successful. Be the best at what you can do. And and, and I also have my other, other expression is whatever job you have, approach it like it's the last job you'll ever have. Make decisions like it's the last job you'll ever have. And if you do that, you're going to make decisions that are going to be long-term positive decisions as opposed to – and I always use my example. I, when I had this job at Cornell, I was working really – and I, I, I repeat myself because I use this expression all the time. Yeah. But I, I was working really hard to get a, job, a great job as opposed to working really hard to make my job great. Sounds like the same thing. It's, it's not. And what that means is – I wasn't making long-term decisions that would benefit this job. I was thinking, well, I'm going to be somewhere else. Mm. So why make investments in this place? Because I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Well, guess what? Five years later, I was still here. <laughs> and I had the foundation for success. And it was really a, 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 an epiphany. Like I, I got turned down by three or four different jobs. I realized, holy, holy cow, I might be here for a while. I better make sure this job is good. And, and you know, 28 years I've been here, the job that I coveted is the job I have, and, I, and I'm really happy here, and every day I come to work, I'm, I'm so thankful, um, but a lot of people don't do that, a lot of people just look, you know, they're, they're looking to their right, they're looking to their left, trying, you know, the grass is always greener, well, you know what, if you don't, if, the, if you want the grass to be greener, fertilize your yard, you know, and don't look at your neighbor's yard. Water that thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors at Populous, the high performance people, the people to bring you the happiness platform. Rob Cole, builder of champions, continues to share knowledge bonds with us. If you're an aspiring sports person, just an aspiring person to lead a great life, or you have children, then listen, take notes, and implement them. Let's get back into it. Hey mate, I, um, I don't normally pull out quotes um, too often, but when I was thinking about you, and there was this uh, booklet I wrote not long ago, where I developed this leadership framework. And one of the key things that always sticks out in that framework is a quote I used in there. And as I mentioned, I normally don't throw quotes in, but it's, it's, it's from one of your uh, great uh, presidents, right? And it really resonates with me. And he said, efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Can you talk to me a little bit about that in terms of what you do there at Cornell and your wrestlers? Well, that's funny because I always I, I, I make it a little more simplistic. I say it doesn't matter if you drive ninety miles an hour if you go in the wrong direction, you ain't gonna get you know. And, and we have kids who work so hard sometimes, but they they maybe they're working on on their feet and they need to be working on on the mat, you know. And and so every day you got to come in with a direction, with vision and, and purpose, and and that's really what it's all about. We have we sit the these guys down and we say these are the things you need to work on um, every day it's not going to happen overnight and, and it doesn't matter if it's wrestling or if it's academic because and for me it's, it's, it's about academics and wrestling because generally speaking if one part of a kid's life is not going well whether it's social or academic the wrestling side is not going to do well it will suffer inevitably it will suffer my son he's in physics engineering physics engineering at Cornell the kid studies all night long every day and, and there's a point of, of it, it, uh, uh, it actually it hurts, diminishing returns occurs very quickly when you're sleeping three or four hours a night. Mm -hmm. And now he's not being able to, 
process the information. It's not going into long-term memory. He's doing poor on his exams. He's doing poor in wrestling. He's upset with wrestling. You know, so he tries to work harder in wrestling, which hurts his grade. It's all cumulative. And and so for our guys, we got to have a, a we, we sit down. We, we don't do short-term goal, just short-term goals. You have long-term goals. And those short, little tiny short-term goal, goals will, will work into your mid-range goals, which will work in your long-term growth. So I, I'm a very visual person. I write everything out. I've got, a, I've got a whiteboard over there, which has more pig scratch on it than anything else. I have charts. And, you know, I, I need to see it. I need yes. to visualize it. For me, it's very helpful. And I, not all my guys are like that, but I want them all to be like that. They sit down and they every single you know for us it's it's you know, we sit down and they have every single test is written out every single class we know where they're going to be they know how much time they're going to spend on every little thing and we try to be scientific about wrestling it's wrestling it's only a sport it's not just a sport it's a way of life and it's going to make them more successful in life because the lessons that they have to go through and learn in order to be successful they will apply it when they graduate and and it's also a bonding experience and, and nothing is the friendships that you I always say that friendships tempered in, in sweat are more powerful and, and stronger than, than in beer. You know, what I mean? <laughs> absolutely. There's a there's a there's a common uh, and, and, and misery loves company. You know, yeah. and, and the common sacrifice that these kids go through. Oh, there's nothing quite like it. Um, so the purpose in the in the vision when we sit down with our kids and, and we and hopefully that they're taking these lessons that we you know as I said wrestling is just a vehicle to get them to have, you know, enhance their life when they're in college. Absolutely. But hopefully we're also teaching them values and lessons that they'll be applying later in life. Uh, I said, I'm a big time guy. I'm a, I'm a big time goal oriented type of guy. I like to know it, it, it's very hard to reach a goal if you don't have one. And, and so we have, we have a goal and then we have a very, very specific map how to get there. And so every day those kids should know, and they do know, um, what their weaknesses are, because they don't have to work on the strengths generally. Because the reason their strengths is because they work on them all the time. Uh, you know, it, it's it's getting to do the things that they don't like to do uh, is the hard part. My father used to always say when he was my father was Olympian, three time national phenomenal wrestler. He used to always say, I, I asked him I, I, some coaching advice. He goes, find out what they hate doing, make them do it over and over again. <laughs> and there's really a lot of truth to that. You know, generally speaking, if you're not good in math, you know, you don't like doing it. If you're not good in English, you don't like doing it. Um, but you probably need to because those are your weaknesses. See, there was this, uh, this yogi I spent a lot of time with some 10 years ago. And he says, discipline, bro, is never pleasant to start with. Okay? And that's why it's called discipline, right? But after you've done it over and over and over again, you find pleasure in it because you become yeah. great at it. Right? There's a lot of talk today about positive leadership. Okay? So it's interesting because, you know, there was, I remember going in early in the years and, you know, saying, you know, cause there was no one else that was going to come and tell me that, Ro, I'm the best, you're the best, right? Because I was this young kid trying to get to the top and there wasn't, I wasn't as privileged as my kids are today and perhaps your kids are at the right universities and this and that. So it was the school of Ro and I was lucky I found a few, um, you know, books such as <laughs> this old one that's been sitting here in my Think and Grow Rich, right? And Napoleon Hill, but there's disciplines in there. And one of, one of the disciplines I picked up was how you look at yourself, right? Which was like, you're the best. Can you visualize that? And how do you stick to it when you know the hard knocks keep coming at you, right? And it was simple. It was just that you had to have the vision in your head. You had to believe it, eat it, sleep, and have the discipline to execute on the things that felt terrible, like going and approaching somebody to buy your product. <laughs> 
<laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even know, they didn't even realize they had a need for it. So you get knockbacks and you've got to enjoy those knockbacks. And it's like saying, you know, you have to do, like your dad said, you have to do those things that don't feel good or you don't like over and over and over again that you become so good at it, it becomes pleasurable, right? Mate, can I ask you a question? How do you keep your vision refreshed and um, current in terms of, because you've been there a long time, right? how, how do you do that, number one? That's probably the most important question I have when I go and see chairmen of the boards and CEOs, etc. And number two is, how do you get the rest of your team, your, your assistant coach or your, your heads of departments, um, the, you know, the, the chancellor, whoever else is in charge of the university, plus those kids you recruit, to be on the same page and then give the best to you and what you've got in, in, in your mind so that it also becomes theirs. How do you go about that? It's so simple. I mean, it's a, you know, I'm sure you know the answer. You surround yourself with positive people and you, you know, and energetic people. It's contagious. <laughs> As is the opposite, may I add. You know, you surround yourself with people who are negative. It rubs off. Absolutely, you know, and, yes. And, and, and for me, it's, for me, it's every year. I replenish my stock of positivity by bringing in my next freshman class. These are 18-year-old kids who are so full of life and vigor. It's it's it is contagious, and it's and it and it, and it, and it rubs off on the administration. And they come in and they see our kids busting their humps harder than any team. They're like, "What the hell? How do you get these guys to wrestle so hard?" Well, they have to wrestle that hard, or they're going to get their ass kicked by the guy next to them. You know, yes, and, it's, yes. and it's contagious. And I used to, and this is not always the case because there was a year where I used there was a time. When I was younger, and I wasn't as we weren't as successful, and I was, and I, I would like to say I take I took shortcuts. I took kids who who were really talented, who won a lot of matches, who I didn't necessarily like, you know, where I didn't mm. I didn't mesh with, them. I didn't they didn't have my kind of personality, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm, they're not wrestling's not as important to them. The schools, you know, they, they I don't, and I brought some of those kids in, and guess who they attract? They attract kids of like mind. And then they go and they and they bring in, they go to join the fr a fraternity and they hang in the fraternity. You know, and it, it, it's it's a cancer. You know, I, I always say, you know, if, 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 kids don't, if kids don't quit, they don't quit. Nobody quits, nobody quits. Now, that might sound redundant, but quitting is contagious. And so if one kid on the team quits, and I don't like walk-ons, I, I, I don't let my kids walk, kids walk on unless I vet them thoroughly. Because if they if they become friends with somebody, then they go play. You know, they quit and they go play foosball and drink beer. Well, what's easier? What's more fun? And and kids at this age, if they struggle, and everyone's going to struggle from the best guy to the worst guy. I've got a guy who's going to be a three time national champion. Believe me, he struggled. There's going to be a time where they say, ah, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And if you have three or four friends on the team who've made who've taken the path of least resistance, it's easier for those guys to quit. And uh, and so that's why, you know, the the Keeping yourself excited and keeping yourself modern and up to date—it's just a matter of every year I bring in new people. And if it's a business, you bring in people who are going to—you want to surround yourself with—and it's really, really simple. Yeah, the right the company you keep comes, keeps coming over and over again. It just in everything that we do, in terms of how do you also—you want to make sure you don't have a lot of group as well, right? You want to make sure kids who are bringing in a little edge, etc. Do you look out for that, or do you just you see it in their character and go, you know what, something in me is awoken, and I think we could do with that as part of the overall team composition. Well, I've got an incredibly eclectic team just by the nature of, of Cornell. 
know, I've got seven different colleges that make up the university. I've got kids in agriculture. I've got engineers. I've got kids in, in fine arts. I've got every single major under the sun. That, that in itself makes the kids a little bit different. Then I've got kids from 16 different, you know, 16 different states and two countries. That makes the kids a little bit different. You know, and I've, I've got I've got African Americans and Native Americans and Hispanics. That makes the kids a little different. Yes, so yes. I'm not going to have I'm not, I, I have a real melting pot of, of yeah. kids. I think our, our group is about as diverse as you as you can come. But you know, the difference is, and and I get myself in trouble with this because I hate I hate the forced multiculturalism diversity. Oh yes, yes. Talk to me more. It. Yeah, yeah. I have the most multicultural, diverse team you can imagine, but it's not forced, it's not contrived, it's real. And and these kids are as close as, it doesn't matter if a kid, one kid's a black kid, Native American, a white kid, they have a commonality. And we don't focus on differences, we focus on the commonality. And the commonality is this great sport that we share, and we're at this great university, and we and these they all live together, They all it's, it's a big family, but when, you're, when you have these contrived similarities and you force these things, you focus on the differences. In your group, when you segregate a group and say, oh, this group is different, it's ridiculous. And, and I don't believe in it. And it's not because I don't want the, there to be harmony. It's because I don't think they're going about it the right way. And, and, and we have no problems whatsoever because, as I said, if you, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, when you're in a wrestling team, a lot of the kids, two kids will be, they'll, you'll have clicks on a team just like anything mm-hmm. else. And we bring those guys. Like, guys, if you two guys were dropped into any place else in the United States, you think you'd, you'd be the best friends because you're so similar. Yes. The only reason you don't see that is because there's so many other guys who have similar similar interests. Just because they have a strong similar interest doesn't make them similar. You know, there's so many cultural differences, but it brings them together. And that's why I love. That's why I love about sport is it, it is a um, <laughs> equalizing you know element in society. Yeah, I love the thinking. It's the same uh, thinking that I deploy in business, and when I do major transformations, people say, "Hey, Ro, you know, how is it that you've been able to, you know, turn this company to double its size in a year and a half? It's impossible, you know. We've been around for 120 years. Uh, you haven't been able to do that because I say you, you guys have gone about in, in methods that have been um, trendy, that's been politically correct, right?" And it's, it hasn't come from the right place. It hasn't come from, you know, your heart or, or, or truth. And when you go out and you, you want the best person for the job with the right characteristics, that has the right value sets, it doesn't matter where they come from, male, female, you know, young, older, it doesn't matter. It's that enthusiasm. It's that ability for them to come in and add an extra so many percent. And normally what it looks like is, you know, 20% of people who have the wrong attitude, you know, they go and um, they've had a good shot at it. They, if they want to fight for their role, I'm very open to it. Then it's only 10 more percent I bring in on top of that who will do as much as 50% of the entire group because they're that good, okay? And they're that good because there's certain makeup in them and there's certain discipline in them and they own their own performance, right? And they lift everyone else's performance and add the bubble up. At the drinking bubble, or the, you know, at the coffee shop, they're the ones that are excited about life in everything they do. They walk and talk with excitement, right, and purpose. And it's amazing that you know your customers all of a sudden see this really happy guy coming along or girl, and you know they, they love the product that they've got. All of a sudden, geez, guess what? They love it, right? 
So it's, it's a very, very simple philosophy. So I'm with you. Like there's, I think it needs to come from the right place. And, you know, it balances itself out anyway. Right? It balances itself out anyway. Mate, what makes up... So these individuals, there must be certain things that... And you get to see it hands-on and you've seen it over a long period of time and I'm sure you've got, you know, your way of recruiting. What makes up these... So you'd get a lot of awesome athletes, okay? And then some go on to become absolutely brilliant and great. Not just in their sport, but overall in life. What are some of the things that if you had to... Um, you know, talk to, you know, when you, when you have a chat to your own son or when you have a talk to yourself when you were younger, what are the things that stand out in terms of characteristics or whatever it may be? Well, the, the characteristic I, I value most is loyalty. And it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to gauge loyalty when you're recruiting somebody because you don't know, you don't know if they're loyal or not. Yeah. But if they got good families, you know, because I, I want a guy who is, you know, if I'm in a foxhole, I want that guy, I want the, that guy. Know, who's going to make the extra make, make that extra effort? Now, how was how was loyalty displayed for us? I've got a kid who was a four time national champion at four different weights. No one's ever done that before in the history of the sport of, of wrestling, and yet that guy is the first guy to help clean up. If there's spit on the ground, he's cleaning it up. He's rolling up mats. He's pushing up bleachers. That's loyalty. He's doing that for me. He's doing that for his team. Is you know, and, and and people love him because of that. And and so. It's hard to quantify loyalty, but it, it's something that's a giving nature of a person, and and it's it, it's it's selfishly, it's the best attribute you can have because ultimately you're going to be rewarded for that, and and people don't understand that. I don't think they see that in a in a big company. They think, oh, you know, you're giving, you're 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 being taken advantage of, and I don't see it that way. At least in, in, in the kids I deal with, those people who are really loyal to us and they give back financially when they graduate. Uh, those are the ones I want to help the most. Those are the ones I want to go out and help them get jobs and, and, and get, help them get promoted. And so it's, it's, it's a characteristic that you can't quantify as a, when, I'm, when, I'm vis- when I'm trying to recruit. It's something that doesn't get talked about. But to me, it's the most important characteristic of a kid because you know he's going to give a, a million percent to you. Know, 100%. He's going to give everything he has to you. And, and so I want to give everything back to that, to that person. And, and uh so that's, that would be a, a simple answer. That's one word that, for me, uh, I look for. And it's hard to look for as, as a recruit. But you look at the parents, and they've made a commitment to themselves. they made a commitment to their kid. A lot of them are paying a lot of money. I have kids who turn down full scholarships, a lot of kids, who turn down full scholarships to pay $65,000 a year to come to Cornell. We're doing something right. They want to be a part of this family because they see how much these kids care about this family. Uh, and, and, and when they graduate, we make sure we take care of these kids. We make sure we get them lined up with jobs. And we, you know, now you're, and guess what? You're sucked into my, my web now. You know, I'm gonna, <laughs> if I have someone who wants to go to Australia, guess what? And I have someone who wants to go to Australia. I'm going to bug you. I'm going to try to get this kid a job. Oh, man. Um, Happy to help. It's Craig, Craig Scott. He wants to go to Australia. Uh, yeah, so, um, so, yeah, that, that to me is, is uh, it's, it's endearing. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a trait that I think is, is very, very important. Valuable. I mean, obviously discipline, obviously hard work. All those things are obvious. Um, loyalty is something that's it's also hard. It's hard sometimes to be. It's not always the easiest thing to do. It's a lot easier not to do the extra work for your coach if, you do, if he asks you to do it. It's easier to not take the recruit on a weekend. It's easier, you know, to, to hide, duck down, as opposed to put your head up and say, oh, "I'm going to do it for you because you know I, I, I respect you and I and I." I want to please, you know, I want to please the program and help the program.
That's wonderful. That is, you know, it's 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 one of those things as um, when you're going into transform an organisation or uplift it. Um, you know, I I tend to look for that in people more than anything else, and I and I do it implicitly, but it's very difficult to gauge, extremely difficult to gauge. Because um, as you said, you know, earlier in our conversation about over email, it's it's hard to interview the parents at, uh, <laughs> in the <laughs> work environment, right? But some of the benefits in that is the ability to have real conversations, real conversations, because you know, and you're not having to be guarded about what you say, because you know they will take out what you meant, as opposed to concentrate on, you know, the fluff around it, the message delivered. It's very difficult to get, and, you know, I compliment you for being so forthright, and I hope that, you know, the people listening in, into this and, you know, our clients who they pay attention to that particular component and they reward that. Because these days it's a very transitional type of setup, this whole entire world. It's immediate gratification, you know. It's you know, lack of discipline. Let's just let's just filter a, a picture and get people to go, wow, you look beautiful, right? Rather <laughs> than going and putting in the hard work and, and glowing from inside, you know, that, that type of stuff, right? So and you just also remind me of, you know. When we're walking through the corridor, so many people that be tissue on the floor, they won't pick it up, you know. And the guys that, that you you know look out for, the ones that just you can see they're busier than anyone else, but they're still, you know, they walk with purpose. But if they see something in the corridor that's not meant to be there, they'll pick it up and they'll put it in the bin because they want their place to look absolutely beautiful so everyone else can enjoy it. Yeah. That's just really that's that's really wonderful, man. So, it's funny because I do this. I do the same. I literally, I, I have a, we have this beautiful wrestling center. Nobody has a wrestling center. Who builds a wrestling center for for men at Cornell? You know, you know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. We were the first. We were the first and only standalone wrestling center in the United States of America uh, because we have a lot of very loyal people. And and I, if I have, if there's a tissue or a speck of dust on the, I mean, I, I pick it up. I don't care if it's outside. I pick it up. I just hate the garbage. My wife drives my wife crazy because she's, you know, she's anal as hell. But you know, I, I pick the stuff up. But when alumni come back and they see the place being spotless and clueless, they realize, oh my, they, they, they're so thankful that we're good stewards of their gifts, of their generosity. And and then when I'm up there and I'm cleaning up, and this is one of the things I always do, I'm, I have a coat and tie on, I'll be pushing the bleachers back, I'll be, it's hard for our kids not to get involved. Exactly. And that's it's leadership, and, I, and I'm not trying to tilt my own horn, but as a leader, when you get your hands dirty, it, it really does make a statement to your, to you know, our kids being our employees. Uh, Real hard for those guys not to double time it when they see the boss doing it. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and it humbles. It teaches uh, humility to yourself and also to you know the people around you. And you know the it. it, it um, I guess the ego. The ego is a is um, one that needs to be controlled. So the things that stand out for me are twofold. I mean, there's tons of lessons that we learned over here, but twofold. The company you keep will no doubt mold you and mold your team. So pick the right friends, hire the right people with the right attitude to help you prosper, whether it's in business or in life. The other is discipline, discipline to execute, right? Discipline to execute. People who have loyalty to their craft, what they're doing. So therefore, it doesn't matter how tough things get, they just keep on going on. Hey, Rob, thanks, mate.
Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for sharing your knowledge bombs. And it's no wonder why you are one of the most highly successful college coaches in wrestling there is anywhere in the world. If you guys like what you've seen, be a giver. Share, share it with the people that you love, right? Share it with your kids, for instance, and have a great life. See you in the next episode when we bring another champion to you. I'm Ro.